Welcome to my inaugural podcast of In Focus with Danny Walsh. Today I'm joined by Superintendent Pat Watson and reporter Stacey Gilliman. And I wanted to welcome them today to talk about COVID and the report card that we have in our schools and the community in general. So first we have Pat Watson. He's our superintendent. Um, you were actually my very first uh, in focus uh, assignment back a couple, almost three years, no, two years now. So I felt it important to have you on here as well. And then we have uh, reporter Stacy Gilliman, who writes for both the Jewish News, Downtown, and some other publications other. as well. Um, <clears throat> typically environmental, but this one was close to your heart also with, uh, with education. Yes. So before we start talking about the education and the article that you wrote on COVID, um, the COVID report card, we could do a whole probably two hour podcast on what all our kids went through, um, both edu are all educational, social, emotional. Um, but just to get an idea of like the pulse of what you have today, knowing we have new resources coming. So we have um, we have the ESSER funds coming and others and you have the ability to help and you're seeing the kids, you know, you as a parent and you as an as a educator. Are you seeing maybe a bit of hope that now that we have resources and we're getting things on the ground that the kids will come back and socially, emotionally, before we get into the educational talk that we'll get them where they need to go? Anybody want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Yeah, so, so there's always hope, but I think we're looking at COVID maybe a little differently here okay. than what you hear in the media. The whole mental health crisis with our adolescents was there before COVID. So you go back and you look at the data, you look at the number of students who had a 504 for anxiety and depression, but compared to the 90s or early 2000s, we see a dramatic increase. Look at the students who are having suicidal ideations, those who are actually attempting or completing suicide. So we were already, in my opinion, in a crisis beforehand. Mm -hmm. COVID just added to that. So you look at the CDC report that came out the past couple of years, you look at the Surgeon General's report, it leaves us to you know, understand that the crisis was there and now as the numbers continue to go up, what are we going to do? And right now, you know, schools are the lowest form of government, right? Being on the Board of Education is the lowest form of government. It's kind of landing at uh, in our laps. And so we're looking at how do you, it's not a clinical setting, right? But at the same time, these things are kind of falling at your doorstep. And how do you actually prepare? How do you actually respond? So some of the ESSER funds that are allocated for mental health are great. I know for us, uh, we added additional social workers. We did that a couple years ago. Um, we just received another grant where we can add a specialist when it comes to mental health. And that person will be placed at the high school, but will serve district-wide. We've added therapy dogs, which has been a big hit. And kids actually, you know, as you would imagine, really love the therapy dogs. Uh, we've continued to work with Prepare You as a curriculum for our freshman and health class, mm -hmm. which really talks about what's going on, um, how do you deal with social media, how do you have some of those coping skills that our, our students really need? Because we're all going to face adversity, right? So it's okay to ask for help. It's, you know, compared to that mentality where I grew up, like, don't be soft, don't be weak, you're a man, be a man about it, don't cry, you know, right? That it's okay to be emotional, it's okay to have feelings. So those are kind of a little bit of ramblings, but that's kind of, you know, how we're looking at things moving forward. 
I wouldn't say rambling so much as because I, I do feel it. Um, I'm from an Irish and Lithuanian background where you push everything down and you laugh. The more I laugh, <laughs> usually the more uncomfortable I am. Um, so we were never allowed to say we're not okay. Um, and now, especially at the township, we say, like we have a little saying of, it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. You absolutely should ask for help because as a family there, we bring each other together. So I think it's wonderful that you guys are saying that kind of same thing of, this is global, this is big. We need to talk about how do we handle this? And it's not just COVID. Um, and that's something that you had mentioned as well is, this is something that we had talked about earlier. This is something that was bubbling under the surface. We just weren't allowed to talk about it. You know, and COVID kind of stripped that away where now it is children are saying, you know, I'm having some issues. Mm -hmm. We have adults that are coming and saying we're having issues. Um, we now have social workers as well because the police are you know, going out and they don't need a policeman or a policewoman. They need social work. So we now have an embedded one. Sure. Um, so it is a large, it affects the entire community. It is. In, in, yeah. in the education setting, it's a shift in mindset, right? Yes. So I think it's a lot of retraining for people that, you know, as my kids would say, well, you're a boomer, you don't get it. I think it's some retraining for us and how we think about and approach our students when they say there actually is something concerning to them, that we listen and we understand and we're empathetic and we try to find avenues to support them with whatever they're struggling with. So that was a valuable lesson I learned six, seven years ago. And that was a, as a Gen Xer, that was our thing. You yeah, just we're Gen Xers. We're yeah. not boomers. Yeah, right? we're not right. boomers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Don't mislabel us. Right. We're Gen Xers. Was that where you're like, well, that's not a big deal. Shake it off. Shake, shake it off. Right. It was we shake it off. It was latchkey kids, you yeah. know, exactly. going home yeah. after school and your parents be working. You let yourself in and fend for yourself. And right. yeah, that's, um, and somehow we got out. We made it out somehow on the other side. But, um, Kids today, um, I, I interviewed many parents and I was going through it with my own uh, son at home during uh, the height of the, of the pandemic. It hit during his junior year. And um, it was the isolation that really got to him. Um, I, we totally understood why we needed to be socially distant and why we couldn't go into class. And I think that there was a hybrid. There was a point like, I think 2021 when the schools opened again and cases kept going up, I'm like, oh, I'll give this a month before they go back on all online. And it was, it was like, I think mid October and that was all, it all came to a close again for a little while. And the on again, off again, really messed with our kids with our kids' mental health. Um, well, th think about it. I think, I think it's a great point. There are certain things that are stable in our children's life. Mm -hmm. The most stable thing is school. School. Here's your first day. Here's your last day. Okay. Here are the breaks you get. It's not going to change. If winter break is this time frame, it's not like, yeah, we're going to move it a week. Yeah. It stays the same. Right. So that's your routine for basically 14, 13, 14 years. More than that if you've gone to preschool or daycare. Right. We totally took that structure out of their life. And we all like routines, right? We have a routine of mm -hmm. how we put on our clothes, what we do before bed, how we eat. There's all these routines. We took away all the stability they had in their life and then threw it in the chaos. Mm -hmm. and then you can't expect them to come back and be the way they were when they haven't had that ability exactly. to socialize. Exactly. I, I did speak to a, a middle school teacher at West Bloomfield for this article, and she said that like her kids, and again, with the high uh, numbers of 
kids in her class, she couldn't hold the hand of that one kid who needed that extra attention. You know, she couldn't even say, okay, turn to page 30 and we're looking at paragraph two. And they're like, what? After doing everything online for almost two years. And then I had another, uh, that, that middle school teacher said, okay, my sixth and seventh graders, maybe by the time they get to the ninth grade, they're going to be okay. But it's going to take a couple of years of whatever normal school is now to, to get to that point where they can sit in a classroom for some of them. Another parent that um, I spoke to said that their, the pandemic happened when the son was reaching, I guess, the end of the eighth grade, and now their kid was a junior. And the kids felt like in order to catch up, he said, he, the way he described it was, I feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hose, that all the information is coming so fast. Um, so I really think that we need to give our kids those mental health tools as part of the education, those coping skills, because stress and anxiety and depression are sometimes unavoidable, but we need to give them the tools so they could feel successful. Um, and yeah, so it, it's just really important to get that mental health component and, and for kids to know that it, again, it's okay to say, I'm not okay. And, and it's so important, I think for kids to advocate, that's what my, my son has learned. Um, cause he had some challenges. He has finally learned now that he's 19, how to advocate for himself and ask for help. And that's something that he it, he a tool that he was lacking when he was in in middle school and high school. So, and it's good that you had already started bringing some of these in with social workers and therapy aides, and with the um, ESSER funding that you had written in your article about. Which I know we're always big on the acronyms, but I had to even look it up because I'd never heard of yes. it before. So I believe it's Elementary and Secondary School Relief. Is mm -hmm. that what it is? Yeah, was, the goal is to support schools some additional revenue to help with learning loss due to the impact that COVID is having on our students. Right. And how much did the state get? Uh, the state got um, almost $8 billion. <clears throat> and you can look, um, you can go to COVID slash relief slash data dot ed dot gov. And you can find out um, for yourself, for the public, if you want to do some digging about every school district what every school district got, how much percentage that school district has already drawn down. Um, so as of November 30th, and I checked, uh, the state of Michigan has already spent 38.3% of their allocated funding, and they have until September 2025, I think, to draw it all down. Um, so that the, the first um, chunk of that money was given right away in March 2020. Um, that was $13.2 billion to give to schools immediately for emergency PPE equipment, um, to readier schools for safe learning, uh, distance learning. Um, it was also, I think at that point, there was emergency funding for uh, school, uh, for meals, I believe, at that point. And then in 2021, <clears throat> SR2 came along with $54.3 billion. And then in March of 2021, uh, SR received $1.9 trillion. That's historically the largest infusion of money from the federal government that has ever gone to education. Um, 
So, uh, and included in that is 1.22 billion in ESSER funding. And uh, education experts that I spoke to for this article from uh, Wayne State, University of Michigan, Michigan MSU said the best way to spend this money is to spend it slowly and wisely. Um, don't spend on more technology and screen time. That's like, I had a psychology professor from the University of Michigan say the last thing that these kids need is more screen time. And then, uh, unless unless there is a technology gap, of course, in these in these schools, part of the ESSER funding was um, given to schools that are underserved. <clears throat> Thank goodness, um, Bloomfield Hill Schools is in a better position, of course, than schools in Detroit, which got a much larger package of ESSER funding to, to bridge that technology gap, which, which, which puts some kids at such a disadvantage when schools shut down. Um, but what the experts say is that the most important thing, and I think also this could touch on the mental health piece, is small, meaningful, in-person, small group tutoring. So where that one tutor <clears throat> who is uh, trained and qualified and not necessarily a teacher, because the teachers that I spoke to, they don't want to work any more than they already. They're already so overworked, burned out. So the, the challenge is to, is to, is to uh, find and train these tutors. They're not just going to drop out of the sky. They need to be trained. They need to be hired. There needs to be, you know, the funding to allocate for their salaries on a, I guess, a long-term basis. I don't know. Um, but that group tutoring is really the component that state and federal experts say is the best way to catch our kids up. And then how much of all of that did Bloomfield Hills get? So we received about six and a half million dollars total, <coughs> which is roughly four and a half, five percent of our annual budget. So very, very grateful for that. But there you know, are other districts who needed more, all the way up to about $1.25 billion, which is well over their overall operating budget. Right. Um, as a state, we're, we're under, you know, underfunded. And, you know, we're about 27th to 29th each year in how much we spend on our students and, and what we invest in our students. And so I know the governor's proposal that came out today is looking to increase some of the funding. And our kids need it. We, we really need to invest in our, our students. And, and to your point, yeah, it's going to be difficult to find people that are interested in tutoring. And not only do they need to be qualified, one of the most important things, and we don't talk about this enough, is that relationship with the student. Think back to your time in elementary school. If you love that teacher, you did absolutely everything you could to work hard, to make that teacher proud of you. Absolutely. That connection mm -hmm. piece, kids don't learn from people they don't like. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we can actually teach personality. And so I think back to the early 90s when I sat at a job fair for over four hours to get an interview in the Oakland County School District to my experience four years ago at Michigan State where I sat there as an Oakland County School District and went an hour and a half without anyone coming to my table. Wow. And that's where we're at, mm -hmm. right? What it looks like, in my, as you know, my son's a teacher, so what it looks like for my son as a third-year teacher is much different than what it looked like for me coming in. So we, we really do have a problem there that needs to be, you know, looked at. Finances, I'm sure, are, are part of it. And I was like, well, just pay them more. 
well, we're not a for-profit business. I can't say, okay, we're going to pay, you know, tutors were 15, now we're going to pay them $25 an hour, and we'll just raise the price for parents, and that will offset it. That, that's not how it works. So we're trying to be creative with that as well, as far as getting the students what they need. And each student is so different, right? This, this idea that school is 180 days in 1,098 hours, and that this magic is going to happen for every single student at that time frame is ridiculous. So as we move forward, we need to look at the model of how we educate, where we educate, right? We operate a farm and nature center. Some of our students may would, potentially would rather spend their day there. Maybe they'd rather work online and be in that type of setting. And then you both touched on the tutors and the teachers, and um, teachers are a big deal in my family, my cousins, my aunt, my sister, lots of teaching. Um, money isn't why some of them are leaving right now. It's technically, they're going through some mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. They were asked to do some out-of-the-box things that you know, we expect resilience from our children and our teachers that we don't expect from ourselves sometimes. Yes. And how do you combat with, are any of these funds allowed to be used for mental health of the teachers and the support staff that sometimes were spoken to in a way that it, it disgusted me? When I, you would I, do see believe, I do believe that there was room in there for teacher training. Um, for ESSER funding. The thing about ESSER funding that I learned from writing this article is there's very little oversight. Uh, school districts kind of had laissez-faire of the way they want to spend this money because it didn't want to be top-down, like you need to spend it on this and this. Every school district is different. Every school district has different needs. And I guess if the need was, a, they really were given discretion, right? You were given discretion about how- I don't want to say discretion. There's buckets it has to fall into, mm -hmm. right? So if it's a mental health bucket, it has to be allocated for that. If it's for learning loss, well, there's your summer school program, well, there's tutoring, it has to be allocated for that. And then you typically have to pay up front. That's what ours is. Right? And then you have to submit your report afterwards saying, Here's what we spent the money on. Mm. They check the box and say, okay, we're going to send you a reimbursement. Right. So there's a little bit to it than that. You know, the ask had been, just give us X amount of money, no strings attached, and we'll use it the best we can. Um, so we've tried to, with our teaching staff, we offered a retention bonus as well um, because we know so many people were long in their career and looking to leave. So for the money that you did receive at Bloomfield Hills District, um, what are some of the things that you've already spent on, maybe how much and what you've put on to, and also um, any ideas that you're going with forward that you're planning on spending the money on? And I know you're probably like us, where for ARPA, some people wanted us to rush into it. Oh, you got $4 million, spend it right now. It was so limited um, that we didn't. We waited it out. We lobbied for uh, leniency. Thank goodness now we can spend it on infrastructure and things that we needed it for. Um, so knowing how you are, you're a lot more calmer too, where, as you said earlier, best to spend it slow and, and think it through. Um, what have you already spent on and what are you thinking in the future? Sure. So let's back up a little bit to March 2020 yes. uh, when we closed schools. And we were told, hey, it's going to be two weeks. And you know, once, we flatten, once, once we flatten the curve, <laughs> <How'd that go? laughs> right? you know, all, all those words, you know, pivot, flatten the curve. Oh, that pivot word. Oh, right? I hadn't heard that since friends with the, with the couch. Right? Pivot. So I use that quite a bit. Um, 
But one of the things we did internally as Bloomfield Hill Schools is we, we made the assumption we're not coming back okay. right away. That this, you don't just shut down, you know, schools. And then the other big thing was looking at the National Basketball Association. Let me explain why. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. They're all about making money. And it was during March Madness. And when right. they pulled the athletes at the collegiate <laughs> level and at the pro level off the court and said, we're done, but we don't know if we're coming back. Right. We knew like, okay, you're not going to pull you know, this billion dollar industry off unless something just out of this world is going on. And it yeah. was. And so at that time we formed the international consortium. We had 20 school districts from 12 states. <clears throat> we had the state of Israel. We worked directly with their educators there. We worked with schools from Denmark, from Canada, from South Korea and Japan. And we had planned meetings because some of the schools, as we got along in like May of 2020, South Korea was already looking to go back. Japan was already going to looking to go back. Israel was already looking to go back. They were ahead of the curve. And one of the things they were talking about doing, especially the schools in Copenhagen, Copenhagen Denmark, was we can't do everything, but we're going to focus on math in the L.A. That's going to be our big mm-hmm. focus. And so as we prepared and we closed and we continued to work for that following fall, that was our focus. It was on math and ELA. As a former history teacher, it kind of broke my heart because I think history is really important, but you can catch up. We can catch you up a little bit on science. We can catch you up on PE. Maybe we can even catch you up on music. But if you're behind in math and ELA, especially the way math is now, you have to be able to decode the text to understand what the math question is. It's just not a sheet of paper with all your problems. So some of the things we spent it on, we hired a director of health and wellness for a year so that as we were coming back, we needed a professional on staff that knew what we could do, what we couldn't do, that was always looking at the safety aspect. We hired a school district nurse. We didn't have a nurse for the school district until that time. And she helped with both safety protocols. We brought in all kinds of PPE and air purifiers. Mm. Uh, we had done a little research, and there's a magazine called Physics of Fluid. And they had actually had this great presentation on what masks do what. So, and I know there's controversy about whether you should or shouldn't wear it. I'm not here to debate the controversy. Right. But it was evident by the research that KN94s, uh, N95 masks were superior. So we used PPE money to buy a lot of those or the surgical ones, which were more expensive than the cloth ones, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we spent money on having smaller class sizes. So we knew whether it was six feet or three feet, which, you know, it did go to three, although the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended three from the beginning, that regardless, we wanted to make sure we spread our students out so we could come back in person when the time was right. So we spent additional money there. Uh, we spent money on technology so as far as software, licenses, dot cam training. We rolled out Canvas. That was another to, thing. Yeah. Teachers said that they themselves needed training on how to work all this from home. Canvas. Yeah, they all of everything. Them, Canvas, yeah. Zoom, everything. They're like, yeah, they were there. One thing I learned from professors is that teachers are used to frontal teaching. They're used to being in front of a class teaching. They were. They needed to get trained on how to do this all remotely. The one thing we heard from our students is that we don't know what's going to happen. We're really scared. Can we just keep our schedule? Is there a way for us to keep our schedule? 
And so the only way to do that was to do this, this crazy model. But at least you had all Bloomfield teachers. You had your schedule. And I remember talking to the teachers unions and sharing with, you know, Phil Liberty. Hey, there's this crazy idea. Here's what the kids want. They want to be able to be half at home, half in person, so they still can go and have this rotation. And the teachers are going to teach both. And he's like, wow, that's okay. How's that going to work? I go, I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah. Right. But it's really what the kids want. And he's like, okay, sure. If, if this so is what the kids need, with. we'll do it and yeah. we'll make the best of it. And I remember, you know, when the union reps came to a board meeting and said, we don't know if this is going to work. We have no idea. This has never been done. But we, we know the students want us as their teachers. They want to keep the schedule they've been looking right. forward to. So what is ceramics going to look like at home in October, right? We'll figure it out. And, and I think that that was a big thing. With some of the other things, uh, we did summer learning for 21 and 22. We'll have it up again in 23, where it's no cost for students that are part of the marginalized groups or didn't perform well. We hope more students will take advantage of it mm -hmm. than did. As far as things in the future, we'll kind of look at our, our full suite of assessments and see where our students' needs are. And then based on those needs, we'll create programming to best serve our students. And those needs might be different at an elementary school compared to a middle school compared to a high school. Great. And that's, I mean, that is a tall order for, it sounds like such a large number until you realize all of the needs that you have. Right. Like you're talking about the kids' needs, the teachers' needs, the administrators' needs, the support staff, even finding bus drivers nowadays. You know, you're talking tutors, bus drivers. Right. Everybody is just in demand. And, and also, I mean, thankfully, you know, we have sort of new school buildings, but a lot of the ESSER funding at first was also used in other school districts um, to to get better ventilation in their schools, to to reduce some of their, their piping um, in older buildings. I mean, right. you have some kids going to school in buildings that are over 100 years old. So the ESSER funding was also used um, not necessarily in our school district, but other school districts for, for the right. infrastructure and the facilities. for the bond that allowed for these changes because um, a lot of those schools, so I went through the school system, kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, many of those haven't changed since I went there in the <laughs> 70s and 80s. And I do pick up my sisters. I was technically the 90s, even though it was only like five months of the 90s. But a lot of them had never changed. So even technology-wise, you couldn't do the same things that some of these newer schools could do. And now with the bond that, um, you know, the mm -hmm. first of all, the parents that got together to help with getting that bond, the administration and the residents that paid for it or that, that agreed to it, that is a game changer yes. for us so that you could spread kids out more. Because think about those older, smaller classrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, that will be amazing when those are done. And we'll, yeah. you'll be even more ready or God forbid something's ever happened, which we hope it never does. <laughs> yeah, but the, you're the, laying bond, the, groundwork. the bond work's still going on. Yeah, and that's right. definitely been helpful. Yeah. Um, but we're also a community that doesn't pass a lot of bonds. Right. So if you look at all of our neighbors in the past 30 years, they passed millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of bonds. Yeah. So even though we're going to have two very state-of-the-art middle schools, all of our schools aren't going to look like our neighbor schools mm -hmm. with what's been allotted, especially with you know, the rising inflation costs of everything else. As we're moving forward, you know, talking about the mental health piece, we're really trying to have that focus on experiential learning. And how do we get students up and moving, having conversations, engaging, and trying to solve around a problem? 
which is what the workforce wants, right? Right. This is what I'm hearing from our business leaders in this community who own literally billion dollar corporations. Yes. Pat, we don't want to hire people and give them a task and they say, well, how do I start? What do mm -hmm. I do? What do you want the end product to be? That's your job. Mm -hmm. right. I, I gave you the problem, problem. Solvers, yeah. bring me back five yeah. potential yeah. solutions and tell me why all five are great and which one we should implement. Right. And I'll see you in 48 hours, <laughs> right? Those right. are the opportunities yeah. that, you know, we, we want to look at. So again, having the money is great. It is such a small portion of our actual budget. Right. Uh, there was some misunderstanding in the community, like you have more money than ever. You know, <laughs> right. this school got 1.25 billion. So what did you get, 300 million? Right. No, we're grateful for the six. Right. You know, we, we run into that with our ARPA. Everybody thinks, I mean, you, they didn't do it. I don't know how they did the ESSER funding with ARPA. They didn't do it on need-based or um, anything other than cities. Cities got it. For, they didn't know what a township was. So then it was all oh, townships over 50,000. We only got in a township of 45,000 people who actually have more departments than most cities do because of our services. We got $4 million. Yet you have a city of less than 10,000 people. They got $30 million. <laughs> right. So the way that funding is given, when people hear how much is given to other areas, they assume Bloomfield Township or Bloomfield Hill School District would be getting at the top level. And it's not usually that way. Right. And money doesn't solve mental health problems. Right. Mm -hmm. it right. Helps, it, it helps it, with resources, but it doesn't solve it. It, it, yeah. it really doesn't. And so it will be really interesting to see how as school districts throughout the country... We really try to refocus and have that, that balance of supporting our students and the pressure. I sound like an older person now. The <laughs> pressure, I think, is much higher than it was for me growing up in the 70s and 80s. Oh, yes. And the competition is much different. And we be we shouldn't lose this opportunity to talk about social media mm -hmm. and the mental health impact that's having. Right. Right. When I talk to a student, well, what's the matter? Well, I, I was looking at, you know, Snapchat and all my friends said that they couldn't do anything Friday night and they all went out with each other. And why did they that lie to me? The feeling of left out. The, yeah. the feeling of left out. It continues yeah. into adulthood. Yeah. It does, right? It does. <laughs> you two are amazing with your information. Um, thank you for bringing this to the A forefront pleasure. of of highlighting the, the township. Thank or you for sorry, the, the Bluefield Hill School District as well in doing so well that nationwide and in Michigan, you know, as others maybe had more struggles and weren't able to accommodate with the focus of math and ELA that you had discussed, your numbers went up and you're focused on the mental health part. It's not like you see that if you have this rating, that means you're perfect. Or if you have this rating, everything's great. You see the whole picture. And that, that makes me as a community member, community member know that you're the one with the right heart in the right spot um, because your administration sees that it's more than just rankings and it's great that we're getting good rankings, but you need to, to educate the whole part of the child. So right. thank you yeah. for that. That is appreciative for me. Hey. <laughs> and thank you for, for doing your article and oh, highlighting this. Thank you. It thank was you really interesting too to hear all the different areas, yeah. all, the, all the five that you covered. Thank so you. thank you. And we'll have you guys on another time. Sounds Thanks, good. Danny. So thank you everyone for joining. And this again was the very first podcast. So thank you so much for tolerating uh, my not being used to this. And I promise I'll get better for the next one. But thank you so much and have a great day. <laughs>